Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. We are in the series entitled The Gospels. We have been walking through the four Gospels, and we find ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, My name is Jim Dalrymple. I'm one of the members here. My family attends here. We have for the past four years, uh, and it's really a privilege to be with you uh, this morning. As we have seen Jesus on this mountain, we've also noticed that he looks like a teacher, not just any teacher. But for his audience, for Jesus' audience on the mountain that day, he looks like the teacher. Uh, For them, the teacher would have been Moses. Jesus, in many ways, looks like Moses on this mountain. And our question has been this. Not just is Jesus a teacher, but will we make him our teacher? Will we listen to what he has to say? It really is a great question of faith, by the way, that do we... Not only believe that Jesus is, that he died, that he rose again, but but do we believe in what he has to say? So much so that we would choose to follow his teaching. So if we believe that Jesus is good and what he says is what is best, then it follows logically that we would want to follow what he has to say. Now, I've had conversations with even those closest to me over the course of life and, and had to have conversations that that ask the question, so do, do you want to follow Jesus? And, and if you do want to follow him, why, why aren't you in this area? It's a question that sometimes gets personal. And as we've walked through this sermon, Jesus has at times gotten into our personal space. And in fact, last week we started through a series of six different spheres of life where, where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And in each of these six, we could acknowledge that Jesus kind of gets in a personal space. Last week, Michael DeFazio talked about pursuing peace even when we're angry with someone, even when the anger turns to what might be rage or, or even hatred. And, and so Jesus addresses that. And, and this week, Jesus gets no less personal. In fact, even as a guest preacher today, they assigned the text and I opened up my Bibles, as many of you will. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. And Mark Christian was on the phone with me when he assigned this. And I said, oh, I see how this goes. Here's the text. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Right away, I want to acknowledge, if this is like your first time visiting church, you might be going, what did I just step into, right? But I want to ask this question this morning. What if Jesus, as teacher, is, is not motivated by you liking him, but is motivated by what you most need from him? What if Jesus' motivation for teaching is not to make you comfortable, but to make you healthy? 
So how will we deal with this text today? I mean, I have a 10-year-old daughter attending one of the services today. How will we deal with this text today? Maybe you've heard sermons like this, five simple ways to stop. And you walk out on Sunday and you're going, it's not, it's not simple. Or, or maybe you've just heard someone, I don't know, yell at you and say, stop it, stop it, stop it. And you go, I don't know that it's that simple either. So how will we deal with this text today and this teaching of Jesus? Is Jesus in this text livid? Is his tone that he's mad or is it loving? Or maybe another way to put it, it would be this. Is Jesus saying in this text to you this morning, how dare you? Or is he asking a question? How are you? You see, I think it's the second. I think Jesus, even with those people on the side of that mountain, Jesus is the teacher who has created them, who knows them, sits down with them, and as their teacher, he asks this question. How are you this morning? In six different spheres, he's going to ask this question. In six different spheres, he's going to evaluate what it looks like to follow after Jesus, to follow after him as your teacher and as your king, as he lays out, as Michael DeFazio said, lays out his kingdom program and asks you, invites you, will you follow? Do you want to follow? Do you trust me? Here's a question this morning. Do you trust Jesus in this area of your life? We want to do this really by looking at two different sides of this text, two different parts of this text. We're going to start by looking at as Jesus, I think what he's doing here is he's calling us to not change our, not just stop focusing on something, but actually refocus on something else. So the first half, we want to talk about refocusing on something that is deeper, refocusing on something deeper. Now, Jesus has done that throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He's called us to refocus on something deeper. He says uh, about those who are Pharisees, unless your righteousness becomes deeper or exceeds theirs, then really you're not part of the kingdom. So he calls us deeper. But we also want to refocus on that that which is better. So it's not just a matter of stopping something, but it is a matter of refocusing on something that is deeper, refocusing on something is better. That's really how we want to approach this today. And, and so we want to start here with this refocusing on that which is deeper. And one of the things that Jesus does is he wants us to focus deeper inside of ourselves. And so he mentions this word heart. And he talks about the heart of our motivation. Now that's not very public. It's not something that on Sunday morning you come around and people know the motivations of your heart, whether it's in this area or in any other area. Oftentimes it's quite personal. But Jesus, as our teacher, wants to go there and ask the question, how, how are you? And I realize in this sermon, in 25, 28 minutes, we're not going to be able to resolve everything or even every question. So let me encourage you with this. What Jesus invites you to here is the beginning of a journey of discipleship a beginning of a journey of discipleship where you seek to follow him in these different spheres in your life and many others. You seek to follow him and exchange your desires for his desires, your heart for his heart. You invite him in and he begins to transform you even from this moment. That's the journey of discipleship and following Jesus. So Jesus invites us to look deeper. Now, one of the things he invites us to look deeper at is he invites us to look deeper at adultery. And I'm sure that that's the last thing you expected to hear on a Sunday morning. Let's look deeper at adultery. 
But at the same time, sometimes we need to look at even, even things like sin and go, what is really going on here? Adultery, Jesus says, you have heard it was said, adultery was the seventh commandment given by Moses. So Jesus, again, looks like Moses in this moment. Adultery was the seventh commandment. And we know that adultery is something that is the cheapening, the cheapening of what God has desired for the deepening of covenantal relationship. Adultery is the cheapening of something God has given as a gift and said, here, this is for you in the, the boundaries of marriage. But adultery throws away the boundaries and exploits the gift. And Jesus in this text is saying, lust is just like that. In fact, he doesn't say just like it. He says it is. It is that. It is the cheapening of a relationship, the cheapening of a gift that God has given to be a deepening of relationship. So when we look at this concept, one of the things Jesus does is he sets it on the table and says, let's acknowledge what this is. And he doesn't ask the question, he doesn't make the statement, how dare you? He asks the question, how are you? Here's why. I think Jesus sees the brokenness. Jesus sees the brokenness that our own sin brings. Some of you have seen it too. You've seen it in your life or the, lives of, the life of your, your family. I mean, some of you are getting with family this next week. And, and some of these things play a role in that sphere of your life. And Jesus comes in. He asks the question, how are you? And some of us have seen the end of the story. We've seen the end of the story of where this leads. I also think this. Jesus knows that lust is merely just the rehearsing of perhaps what we would do should not the, the boundaries of public life and our reputation in front of other people be at risk. See, are we really living uh, for, out of our heart? Or are we really just living out of the social pressures of impressing someone else? And Jesus knows lust is really just the rehearsing of what you would do otherwise if you did not want to put on a good front like the Pharisees did. So Jesus takes us deeper to the heart to understand this, this topic, this subject. He says this, anyone who looks... This word looks is, is, is difficult for us to sometimes understand the nuance of what Jesus means, but this is not just noticing. The way Jesus phrased this, the way Matthew put this word in his text is looking and landing. It's a continuing action. So it's looking and landing. I need to acknowledge, I guess, at this point that, that God did create physical attraction, that the Greeks got it wrong, that, that God created our physical bodies, and he said in creation, it is, it is good. But nor is the modernist correct in saying that all we are is a physical body. Because God says we are created in his image, we are created with spirit, with heart, with soul. And so we, we need to have this integrated, this biblical mindset of who we are. That we are both body and soul. And God created this. And yet at the same time, this continuing move from look to landing, Jesus clarifies this landing with this word lustfully. Now, this word lustfully doesn't always have sexual connotation in the New Testament. At other times, this word uh, is translated desire. And you can have desires, unhealthy, misguided desires toward other things as well. So maybe you're sitting in here this morning, you're thinking, well, this sermon isn't for me, but I sure hope they're listening. 
The reality is, is Jesus still wants you to look at his heart, look at your heart and go, are there other misguided desires? How are you? See, the problem is, is that we don't have to go looking for opportunities to find this temptation, do we? We're inundated with them. And, and no matter your age, it seems to be getting younger, at least that's what the statistics tell us, with opportunity to struggle with this in our heart. How are you? How is your heart? So we look at this, and not only do we need a deeper view of adultery, but we also need a deeper view of others. Because here's the problem, lust strips away that value. We're created body and soul, and lust strips away value. And so we need a deeper view. He invites us to a deeper view of others. One of the things that I believe lust does is it reduces other people to one-dimensional objects that are recreated in our minds for our own goodwill, for our own pleasure. We, we recreate in our own minds images of people, not in the image of God as he created them, body and soul and identity, but we recreate them in our own mind for our own purposes. And the people you encounter every day, whether they be passing on the street, whether they be people in this place, whether they be people you see on the other side of a screen, God says, they are my son, they are my daughter. And so we, we need a deeper view, not only of this topic of adultery, but also a deeper view of one another. One of the things I believe that Jesus is calling us to is not just to stop focusing on something, but to actually change our focus completely. That when we begin to see other people, even when we begin to sense that temptation is in front of us, is that Jesus reteaches us in that moment to look at people differently, to see them as God sees them, to see them as Jesus sees them. If lust strips away value, it also cheapens relationship. Lust is a self-centered lens, but not only that, it sees sexuality as a commodity just to be traded on the marketplace and just be traded for our own desire. But what happens is this is we begin to take on this mindset that strips down relationship as God intended it. If that's what we begin to, how we begin to see other people, then what happens is this is that all of a sudden we go looking for a false intimacy, thinking that it's the real thing. We engage in pseudo-relationships thinking that, that somehow they'll bring us fulfillment. And God goes, how, how are you? You're still empty? You're still lonely? How are you? And that's not even to mention this morning. I just want to acknowledge we can't solve everything here. But that's not even to mention those who are victims on the other side of this equation. Who because of this desire, because of this false intimacy, but even because of this sin, find themselves wounded and searching for value, struggling, because they have so much grown up in a, in a place where their only value has been attributed to their look. And Jesus looks at us and he goes, no, 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 there's so much more than that. There's so much more here. We need to have a deeper view. I love what Tim Keller says. He says this, let us acknowledge that an uncovered body is not the same as an uncovered self. So let us not cheapen what God has designed for the deepening of relationship. We recognize that this mindset is destroying, or perhaps for some of us has destroyed, marriages and families 
and at times has destroyed a sense of identity. And so Jesus wants to rebuild some of those things. And perhaps you're kind of like Job in this moment where you're recognizing Jesus asking, how are you? And you're like, this is me. This is me. Perhaps like Job, we want to come and say, I've made a covenant with my eyes. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully. But you also know that no matter what action you take, it seems like that heart is still inside of you. And it comes back up again and again. And your prayer needs to be, Jesus, come inside and change this focus inside of me. Change this focus inside of me. And one of the things Jesus does here is he invites us. He invites us to move from looking at other people through this lens of lust toward looking at them through a lens of love. And so he invites us to this deeper view, to refocus deeper. Here's the second thing. I think Jesus also teaches us to refocus better. Uh, When I was in eighth grade, I got glasses for the first time because I couldn't see the board in chemistry class. I remember walking outside the the eye doctor's office and able to see the water tower in our hometown for the first time and and recognize there were words on that water tower. They were like leaves on trees. And I'm like, wow. Jesus doesn't just call us to stop focusing. He calls us to focus on something that is better. But at first, can I just acknowledge in this text? At first, Jesus' tone seems seems rather severe. It doesn't seem like all that better of an offer. But, but look what he says. Verse 29. If your right eye, which I kind of like my right eye. I don't know about you, but I like mine. Uh, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Throw it away. For it's, here's the word, better. It's better for you. Now, normally, when I read this text and, and teach this text, I, I focus on the, the right eye, the right hand, and cut off and throw away. I don't, know, I don't know that I've ever landed on this word better and thought, I need to focus on this word. This is the word I want to land on in my time. So I thought I'd do a word study. Went to original language, thought, man, I'm going to get behind this word better. You know what I found? The word means better. <laughs> That's what it means. I mean, it means better as in like a better exchange, A better exchange. Like, I don't know, I'm going to give you this, you're going to give me that, and it's going to be a better deal for you. It doesn't really feel that way in the text, Jesus. I'm going to gouge out my eye and cut off my right right eye and cut off my right hand. The the right side of both of those, by the way, in Jesus' audience, adds emphasis. It's better for you to take this severe action than to experience the end results or consequences of your sin. Jesus sounds very severe. If you're visiting today, I'm sure that if this is the first time you come to this text, you're going, what is going on? But hear me on this. Some of you have seen this story play out. You've seen relationships and the end story. And and you've seen people that if they could go back, maybe this is you, if they could go back and change, exchange a decision they've made. Even back in their distant past, they they would make a pretty severe exchange at times because of the severity of their story. Here's what I discovered about myself. Sometimes my view of the severity of sin, of my sin, is too small. Sometimes I can't see where 
these decisions, these actions are leading. But Jesus sits in this moment and he sees, he has seen, he has watched where these actions lead to over and over and over again. And that's why he sits in this moment and says, how are you? But even warns us, it is better for you. It is better for you to take some drastic measure at this point and prevent this from growing in your heart than it is for you to suffer the consequences of it down the road, even into eternity. So I was walking with a, with a, a sponsor of, a, of another group at a summer conference, and, and we were dialoguing about some struggles in his life and, and, and struggles that he'd had since he was 13 years old. And, and in the midst of this conversation, turning him to Jesus and even turning to this text before I knew it would be assigned, one of the comments I had to him was this, what would it look like if you were to just cut off all cell phone service from a smartphone and just have like one of your grandpa's flip phones to which he was like, <gasps> I mean, I could see it in his mind. It looked, it was severe in his mind. What would it look like to not have internet at home, but have to go to the public library or the church to access the internet? What would it look like for you? And, and I could tell in him this struggle of how, I mean, gouge out your eye, cut off your hand. Those aren't like small things Jesus is suggesting. They're fairly severe. But then I flipped the question, just like Jesus did and asked this question, which would be easier? To, to say no to some of those things for a season while Jesus comes in and transforms your heart and works on your heart or to suffer the consequences of those things into the distant future. Not even just into eternity, but into the, your marriage and into your role as father as little kids are looking at the history of the computer. They know how to do that, by the way, and discovering that mom or dad are looking at things. Or to see dad look at someone who is not mom as, as another person walks by at the store. You, you kind of go, oh, those are just hypothetical cachet. No, those are things that people tell me that they grew up noticing. Small nuances of how we view and value other people. And our children are growing up oftentimes in a setting where subtly they are identifying the fact that their identity is not in who they are, but what they look like. Little girls are growing up in communities and in families where they struggle with value and worth. And Jesus looks at them and says, how are you? I want so much more for you. And so this exchange can take place. And maybe for you, the extreme exchange is this. You pick up a phone and you call the counseling center here at church and you say, I need help in an area. Or you walk out to the prayer center and you say, I, just need, I need someone to start walking with me. I need someone to pray with me. You go to a trusted friend. You go to a small group of people and you say, I need help in this area. But you make some, take some drastic measurements. Not because you can cure your own heart, but because you want to prevent any further damage to allow Jesus to come in and cure your heart and to heal you so that you can move forward in health, seeing other people as he sees them. So that you can look at people, not through the lens of lust, but look at people through the lens of love. This is a better exchange, Jesus says, some of these severe actions that we can take. Ultimately, here's what I want us to understand. Our sin is so severe, not just this sin, but every sin, that Jesus would say this, I will not only ask you to exchange something so that you can move toward health, I will exchange everything. I will walk to the cross so that I can pay the price, the consequence for your sin. You see, Jesus didn't have a small view on the consequences or the severity of our sin. He knew full well of its consequences, not only in eternity, but also in the midst of life. 
And, and so his journey to the cross was his acknowledgement that he was willing to exchange himself even on our behalf as we come. And Jesus says, how are you? And you go, I'm broken. He's going, but I can give you life. Here's this last element of looking um, better. I think Jesus wants to give us a better ending as well. Some of you look at your story and you feel like maybe you're at the end of the story. Like this is where the story ends and it's in defeat and it's in brokenness. The thing I love about Jesus is he's able to take a a story and recycle it into a story of hope, into a story of love. Uh, Some of you are at the place where you're just beginning to see where this story is going to lead. Or maybe you don't see it yet. You still have this pseudo storyline that's playing out. And you think it's going to end in fulfillment and happiness. And down the road, it ends in brokenness. Jesus is in the business of saying, I can take stories like that. And I can bring them to an ending of hope. His is a story of death that ends in resurrection. This is a story where Jesus says, this is a story that ends in judgment. But it doesn't have to end there. And the question becomes this this morning. Will you come to Jesus as your teacher? Will you come and listen to the words he has to say and the heart by which he says them? Will you make his desires your desires? Will you see people as he sees them? Because the thing I love about Jesus is I even chat with families and individuals is that when you bring Jesus into the equation, the story is never over. It looks like it's at its end, It looks like there's no hope. It looks like it's all dark. But but Jesus goes, you you see it. We've been walking through the Gospels. Over and over again, he goes, I can use them. I, I I I can work with that. For some of you, it feels hopeless. Like the lens that you're wearing will never be a lens you'll ever be able to take off and you'll never be able to see people a different way. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. It's not by your power, it's by mine. It's by my spirit that this transformation takes place. And maybe it's miraculous and overnight, but maybe it's transformation because you learn that it is not so much about your power, but it is about his power. And you discover the severity of your sin, how deep it goes, but you also discover the severe need you have for a savior. And if that's you this morning, whether you've come to Jesus and said, here's my sin, Here's my brokenness. Here's my story. Here's my past. Jesus steps in and goes, I'll take it and I'll give you mine. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come today. My prayer is this. Help us to see one another as you see us. God, help us to value one another the way you value us. Father, we come and we ask for your forgiveness. And we thank you that in Jesus, we not only find forgiveness, but we find hope, we find peace, we find life. Resurrect in us, God, from the death that our sin brings through the power of Jesus. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.